so on the line right now we have Joel Hoekstra uh, playing with White Snake at the minute, ex Night Ranger guitar player, Trans Siberian Orchestra, and uh, guitar player in Rock of Ages as well, the musical. Uh, but at the minute, brand new solo album out, Joel Hoekstra's 13. Hello, Joel, how are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. Not a bother. So, Joel Hoekstra's 13. What was the, the thought process behind it? Why, why a solo album now? Well, I had three solo albums out years ago that were primarily instrumental guitar albums, very much like you'd expect from a guitar player. Sure. Two of them were kind of, I suppose you'd describe as like rock fusion, and one was fingerstyle uh, acoustic stuff. Right. So over the years, as the fans have gotten to know me, from, as you said, Night Ranger, Rock of Ages, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and now, of course, Whitesnake, yeah. uh, I've had those fan, a lot of fans requesting, hey, how come you don't make an album that's like straight-ahead rock stuff that we can sink our teeth into a little bit more? So, obviously, I'm, I'm really known for this, the hard rock, melodic uh, rock genre now. So, uh, this is that album. I did it in downtime over the last year or two. Now, it always sounded like a great idea to me. It just really it was about when I was going to find the time to make it. Uh, I had a stellar lineup of great musician friends help me out on this so that I'm, I'm very honored to have. And uh, yeah, so I, I gave it a project name. Joel Hoekstra's 13 is the name of the project, and the album is called Dying to Live. It comes out October 16 on Frontiers. Um, people can go online right now and pre-order, and you get the first two singles anymore and until I left you immediately uh, upon ordering. Um, there's also all kinds of promo up online. There's a lyric video for anymore. There's a video for until I left you and people can watch the song sampler video, etc. All that stuff's readily available on YouTube. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting dilemma because here, you know, I made this album, I did all the writing on it, but it did, doesn't really sound like a guitar player's album. It uh -huh. sounds like a band, uh, -huh. uh the reality, though, is I did all the writing, so that the side project thing made the most sense to me to give it that name, the Joel Hoekstra's Thirteen. The Thirteen bit. I'm. Just, I was trying to think: is there thirteen people on the album, or is it just a? Yeah, it's more or less just that it's been a, a lucky number for me okay. uh, over the years. I was born on the thirteenth, and I liked the idea of having a number that or a, a title that could mean different things to different people. All right, uh, have it left open to interpretation, if you will. And uh, I've been joking in these interviews that think of all the free advertising I'm going to get for the album with all the thirteens people see on the street. So <laughs> tremendous. So as you say, you have got a stellar lineup. Uh, of, of musicians did you have them in mind as you were writing songs do you think oh you know Vinny will be great on this one and, and what, or did you just get the songs well, together to, first to a degree I mean it came together piece by piece uh, so it's a combination of two things I mean I had just finished doing a project with Tony Franklin mm -hmm. uh, the bass player people would know from uh, Blue Murder and The Firm and sure. I asked Tony first I said hey I want to do an album that's just like straight ahead rock stuff not not progressive not instrumental just like good rock songs would you be into it and he was into it and i said who would you want to use on drums and he recommended vinnie apice uh, of course people would know from dio and from black sabbath so sure. uh vinnie was into it and from there uh as luck would have it russell allen had just signed up to do the trans-siberian orchestra tour that i do every year so i checked him out i, I had never listened to symphony x and i was totally blown away with russell and his singing on this is just killer so I, I did some backgrounds on his tracks, some background vocals, and I just thought, man, it'd be great to have another great singer helping me with the backgrounds on this. So I asked my friend, 
Jeff Scott Soto. Uh, he's obviously way overqualified to be a background singer. Uh, he's one of the best singers out there, but he was such a nice guy. He was willing to help me out. And then as it became clear that this was going to be a project album, I thought, you know what, I should just have Jeff sing lead on half of the album. I mean, why not? At that point, I'm talking about two of the best singers in rock singing lead on this thing. It's For me, it just brought more to the party. Yeah. So um, I had Jeff on there, and then about the time I got done putting all my guitars on, I still felt like there was room for keyboards. So I asked Derek Sherinian if he'd be willing to play on it, and he was. And so all of a sudden, I had this just incredible lineup on this yeah. thing. And I never really set out to do that. I just wanted to make a cool rock album. I didn't think I'll get all big name players. And uh, it was just so it happened that everybody I asked said yes, basically. So I ended up with this, this amazing lineup. And I'm really thankful that these guys helped me out on this. And, and you, I mean, you've got some other people in there. Chloe Lowry is singing vocals um, on the last track, what we believe, which is a, a great. Um, yeah. I think Chloe Lowry is definitely a superstar in waiting for those that haven't heard her sing. She's another one of my Trans-Siberian Orchestra bandmates. So, uh, yeah, I, I had written a song just about relationships and, and uh, basically having faith in the relationship. And if both people have that faith, that's where the relationship heads is essentially the gist of what we believe. And uh, so having Jeff Scott Soto and her sing that duet was a great way to close the album. Very, very epic song. Absolutely. And, you know, you said you've you've written the album, you produced it, um, played on it, etc. Do you find it hard to to be constructive in all of those areas? You know, when you're doing your guitar solo, do you have your producer head on and go, "Now, come on, you can do better than that"? Or um, with myself, yeah, I'm very much the tortured guy who will make them do 10 million takes because i think everything i do is awful and uh and maybe it is i don't know <laughs> but, uh in terms of the other guys my approach was very much let everybody do what they want to do and roll with that so uh the fun part was a lot of the stuff i got back from Vinny apathy was totally different than what i would have pictured um in terms of what beats he played like especially the song dying to live i think when right. people hear it they'll understand it goes from really slow to really fast in terms of what he does with the beats yeah um, and i was picturing more of a mid-tempo song throughout so it was fun for me these songs let them go in different directions as you get it back from people um it really put their personalities into it despite the fact i did the writing and uh, it, it really gave the, the, the project some character and not just like the thoughts of one person. And so obviously you're saying that as, as Vinny sent you the parts. So was there a lot of, um, you know, used modern technology these days? You can say, look, there's the track you put your bit on, send it back to me. Was there a lot of that or did you get together in the studio at all and... and no, I mean, everybody pretty much did it at their own place. Uh, I did get together with Russell when he sang on his tracks, I was there, but the rest was pretty much everybody doing it on their own, which people get down on that. But the way I look at it is when you're in your own headspace and you're willing to do all the, the, the takes, there's less, you feel less self-conscious. Um, you're willing to be a little more adventurous with your playing when other people aren't there. If I have a room full of musicians watching me try to track a part, I might, I might tend to give in a little bit quicker and go like, all right, well, that's the take, because you feel like you don't want to do a bunch of takes in front of everybody. Um, so I kind of like the idea of everybody doing their stuff at home, because it allows everybody to get in their proper headspace of just feeling like a creative musician and uh, not feeling that pressure. So I think it gets a bad rap the way things are done now. I think it's actually a great way to record. Sure. And, I mean, did you have to change any of the songs 
once you'd got some of the parts back, did you think, oh, hang on now, I'll have to change Oh, absolutely, on. absolutely. Stuff took, uh, like, left turns on me. And, and uh, yeah, but that was part of the fun of it, really. I mean, that's that's uh, that was my production philosophy on it, was just to kind of roll with it all and then and, and go ahead and, and it's, it becomes, the challenge becomes making things that you don't expect work um, with things that you need to do now, yeah. you know? So, uh, anyway, for me, that was great fun. And it also just allows everybody to feel relaxed and play to their strengths. Okay. And on the soloing side of things, how do you approach them? Do you, do you like to have a written solo and, you know, track it up or whatever, or do you just improvise? And I usually improvise and, and build it in the studio uh, and then usually build it to the point where I get a full take of me playing it. I try not to punch in the middle of solos much. I usually... Uh, we'll just keep playing a solo and keep playing it until I have it down and then I've built something. But I kind of build it from improving, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. So you, I just keep learning it. Yeah. Like I'll, yeah. I, if I get the opening lick that works or I'll stop right away if it's not working. If I come up with something and I go, okay, that was cool. All right, let's go further. And But I keep doing it as one whole take, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, and on the album, favorite song then? Uh, I don't think I really have a favorite song. I think it's a diverse album that I would describe. It's obviously melodic hard rock, sure. uh, and I would describe it as Dio-ish at its heaviest and Foreigner-ish at its lightest. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that haven't heard it and maybe want a general idea of what it's going to sound like. Uh, I, for me, it's I like all of it. I think I, I found... A uh, good, good amount of diversity, but I think the album still flows really well. So, like I said, everything sort of fits in that Dio-ish through Foreigner-ish um, uh, vibe. Okay. And, I mean, obviously you're playing with Whitesnake now. Is there a chance that we're going to see this project come to fruition uh, live or anything like that? Uh, I'm certainly interested in supporting the album any way I can. And if there's any kind of live scenario that's going to make sense, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go for it. I'm getting a lot of actually uh, uh, response from promoters already and things like that and, and uh, inquiries, which is amazing to me. The album doesn't even come out for another month and a half. So uh, I'm just going to take that as it comes. And obviously the, the difficult thing is going to be everybody has active schedules with their main bands with something like this, but, um, you never know. I, I'm not going to rule it out and, uh, certainly not going to rule out any further recordings. I think it all comes down to how well this is received. Okay. And I mean, do you take a recording stuff on the road with you then? So are you constantly writing and thinking of new ideas mm. or? Yeah, I tend to try and stay productive. Um, I just have that philosophy kind of on a daily basis to, um, move forward. I think you, there's a, an old adage, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Mm-hmm. So while you can't control your destiny 100% of the time, I think you can sort of uh, control circumstances by uh, working hard and trying to create a decent decent opportunities for yourself. So um, I just try to stay productive because I, I think I have a long way to go. You know, I, I'm still just kind of getting my name out there. I think some people are starting to learn who I am, or maybe a lot of people still don't have any idea who I am. But uh, I, the trick is for me to get this album and really all all my touring with White Snake and the recorded future recordings with White Snake out, and and hopefully build a solid living for myself as a rock guitar player. You know. Sure. And just to sort of go back a little bit, as a growing up sort of thing, when you were a guitar player, 
what were your influences? Did you have a musical family at all? Or? Yeah, my parents are classical musicians. So they had me playing piano and cello at a really young age. And I wasn't too into it, to be honest with you. I wanted to, like most little boys, I just wanted to play baseball. Right. And uh, I think it was at the age of 11 I heard ACDC, and that really changed everything for me. I thought Angus Young was the coolest thing I'd ever seen and heard and uh, wanted to be him. So I asked for a guitar and Thankfully, because of that, I've never really had to uh, make any career decisions in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and your parents were all right with the Angus Young then being classical players. Yeah, I think they were at first pretty hesitant. And, and uh, you know, I think my mom, because she's she struggled uh, in terms of building a career and things like that, um, basically gave me a lot of advice to keep it as a hobby. I think, like most parents, they probably hoped I'd pick something that would make my life a lot less tortured, you know? Because um, nobody wants to see their kid go through the hardships of building a career in the arts. It's pretty difficult, let's sure. face it. I mean, yeah. you'd have to have your head examined to get into music for money. I mean, you'd just need to be out of your mind, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. There's so much, so many easier roads in life to make money. Um, but, uh, it was again, it was all kind of just fueled by the passion for it and... Uh, so thankfully, I kind of feel blessed in that department. Like I never had to make any serious decisions in life. Right. And and uh, doing the Rock of Ages thing, that must have been quite a different discipline to, you know, getting up in a bar and playing and jamming away with people and stuff. Well, the Rock of Ages thing ran in, uh, on Broadway here in New York for over six years, eight shows a week. Uh, the beautiful thing was I could take off whenever I wanted to tour. So when I would tour with Night Ranger or Trans-Siberian Orchestra during that time, all I had to do was schedule one of my subs. I had six guys um, filling in for me. Right. So it really gave me an opportunity to have a gig every day pretty much for those six-plus years. And that was a great experience for me. Um, just to log that amount of stage time in front of a big audience and play music that, that I liked and um, also to form relationships with a lot of guys who were, who played this music, who were in from those bands. I mean, all those bands came to the show while I was there. So, uh, it really changed my life, uh, my reality financially a lot too. I, I think at the beginning of me joining Night Ranger and Rock of Ages, I was pretty much a struggling musician. And, uh, and those two gigs kind of took me from struggling musician to guy who's doing all right with it, you know? Yeah. So, uh, it was a big step for me in, in that department to feel like I was maybe going to be okay. <laughs> and uh, it, no complaints, man. It did a lot for me. I don't think growing up, any kid starts guitar and goes, someday I want to play guitar in a Broadway show. No. Uh, but in terms of looking at the positives of it, there was a lot to take from it. And uh, it had a great impact on my life and career. Excellent. So a couple of questions to finish with. What advice would you give an aspiring guitar player who's wanting to get out there and and do the thing you know do the rock star thing or the, the gigging well musician thing. again i think that line about hard the harder you work the luckier you get um I, I usually phrase that as you get back what you put into it so the harder you work and the more you put into it the more you'll find yourself getting back uh i think it's also important well very important to learn about working hard because if you're out working everybody around you you're going to be all right um I think it's also important to realize that building a career and getting good on your instrument are two different things. Um, so you can put in all the time, but you also have to have uh, certain skills in terms of personal interaction and things like that that lead to building a good career. 
Um, you need to get, you know, over your own, at least I did, I had to get over my own insecurities and, and quirks in life to be able to fit in and feel like, uh, I could have discussions with somebody like yourself without feeling, I don't know, uh, awkward or something. Uh, I think it's part of the maturation process of building a career. And, uh, a lot of that is hard work. And obviously, stupid things like building an image image and having the right look and all that stuff's important, you know. Uh, nobody wants to say that, but it's it's but it uh, the reality is it my career got a lot better the when I've had a better image <laughs> developed. <laughs> so I mean it's that's the reality. So get a haircut. <laughs> What's that? Get a haircut. Is that what you're gonna say? So kids get a haircut and learn to play it properly. <laughs> yeah, well depending on what scene you want to be in, I think it's important to maybe realize to have the right image as well. I was very image challenged younger, you know, I had big weight fluctuations and right. short hair and and uh didn't always understand like <clears throat> that that was a big part of it or maybe i understood it but i kind of hated that i was the big user of the word poser when i was young you okay, know yeah. um and then the older i got the more i realized who cares it's good fun isn't it i mean i i love rocking out on stage and yeah. and having fun with it and performing as well so um i kind of wish i hadn't wasted a lot of negative energy on that when i was younger but I, I, uh, you know the, it is what it is hindsight is twenty twenty with things like that absolutely Absolutely. And so the final question then, you're on a desert island. It does have electricity so you can have an amplifier. What's your one guitar and one album that you're going to have with you? My one guitar? Yeah. You're I think your... I'd probably take an acoustic guitar, I hate to say, because I think uh, just the, the purity of the, the tone, I think I, I could probably, I even sort of picture myself retiring with a, just an acoustic guitar and getting rid <laughs> okay. of all my electric stuff uh, and just playing uh, from the pure aspect of music on an acoustic is very appealing. Okay. Um, so I've, I, in oh. terms of an album, um, I'll take Back in Black because that's what made me start. And I'm sure I'll, after I'm done playing acoustic all day, I'm still going to want to rock out. <laughs> tremendous joel just remind us again when your album's out and uh it comes out october 16 on frontiers records worldwide release so it's the project is joel hoekstra's 13 the album is called dying to live i hope everybody gives it a shot okay excellent thanks very much for taking the time out to talk to us today joel and uh best of luck with the the tour with white snake and the new album well cheers i really appreciate you taking the time to, to help me with it